We've been in a series called I Am Yours, and what we've been looking at is the I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. Now, Jesus has been making these I am statements. I am the bread. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the light. I am the door. And today we're going to talk about a specific one, the last one that we're going to explore. I am the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. Now, we're going to read out of the book of John, and we're going to begin in chapter 15. So I'd invite you, if you brought your Bibles with you this morning, to open your Bible to John chapter 15. I'll be reading the NRSV. It's okay if you don't have your Bible. We have it here on the screen as well. This is what the word says. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you. So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, would you show us, reveal to us, what does Jesus mean when Jesus says, I am the vine? Lord, we've gathered here on this Pentecost day. Celebrating your spirit. Have your spirit teach us this morning, God. This word. This word made flesh. Let us sit at his feet. And come to know the depth of the meaning of this word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There are so many ways that we can unpack this scripture. We can talk about the abiding part, how we live in Christ and how Christ lives in us. We can talk about a whole bunch of different things when we're talking about this word, but today I want us to really, really hone in and focus on something specific, something that is very important to understanding all of the I am statements. I want to talk about fruitfulness, that is, how one should steward the relationships between us and God, and between us 
and others. Fruitfulness. The reason why I want to talk about that is because in Jesus' context, there was a real problem with how this was being done by the religious leaders of Jesus' time. You see, they were made to feel superior. And in their superiority and in all of their religious and pomp and circumstance, they oppressed others because they abused their power. Now remember, when Jesus came, Jesus was very specific about his mission. Jesus says, I am coming to let the oppressed be free, to release the captives, to heal the blind. So Jesus is already at odds with Jesus' own people, with his own leaders in the Jewish faith. You see, every time Jesus encounters one of them, there seems to be some kind of issue. Like, hey, you're healing this dude on a Sunday, or a Saturday, I mean. So why are you doing that? That's illegal. Shouldn't do that. And Jesus is saying, well, what is more loving to heal this person? Or to rest? Or hey, why are you having dinner with all these sinners? I didn't come for you only. I came for all. So there's this problem, you see. So I have a question for you. Does Jesus use Jesus' own authority and Jesus' own power and Jesus' own status to oppress others? Well, let's see. Does Jesus make the claim, I am the vine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In real time, Jesus lets these religious leaders know, I, despite that vine, that gold vine that's hanging over the top of your sanctuary door when I walked in this morning, despite that vine, (laughs) I am the true vine. Jesus elevates himself above their authority, above them. I'm not just human, I am fully divine, I am God. Does the writer of John's gospel also do this with Jesus? Make the same claim that Jesus is God? Yes. So all these years later, even though we're not from Jesus' time, the author wants us to know that Jesus is God. Jesus is saying, I am divine. Does the scripture, like the I am statements, lift Jesus up as fully divine? Yes, so with this elevated view of Jesus not being merely human but also fully divine, what is God's spirit up to? God's spirit that was poured out at Pentecost for us, the church. What is the spirit trying to teach us about the word, about Jesus? What are we learning? Are we learning that Jesus' identity as the uh, fully divine God is the central point of this text? Well, if Jesus was going to take a play out of the playbook of the Pharisees and exert his power and authority and be a hypocrite, well, maybe. But I'm going to argue today, no. Because this is the Son of God. This is perfect love. 
This isn't just about Jesus being fully divine. We've talked a lot about that through this series. And yes, that is true. But to stop there would be to absolutely miss the point of all of these I am statements. (laughs) The text, the word, it goes much deeper than that. In fact, it goes back about 1,400 years. Back to the time of Moses. Back to the time of the Israelites. We've got to remember who Jesus is. Jesus is a rabbi, right? Teacher, teach us. Rabbi, Jesus is an expert in the history of Israel. He is the ultimate teacher of the word because he is the word. And so, these religious and political leaders of Jesus' time, they were misconstruing their stewarding of relationships, their fruitfulness. And just like them, the ancient Israelites did the same thing. So Jesus' I am statements, all of them, contrast Israel's failures under the old covenant. He is saying something more than just about his own divinity. Vines and vineyards, those words used to be (laughs) descriptions of Israel. That's how God God's word refers to them. All of that imagery that Jesus is using, light and bread, all these words, these are powerful words that conjure up 1,400 years of history. Let's take a couple of looks at at, at instances where vines and fruit and vineyards were used by Old Testament prophets. The first one I'm going to talk about is Hosea. Hosea is a prophet of ancient Israel before, way before Jesus' time. And here's how Hosea describes Israel in Hosea 10, verses 1 and 2. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. So as things got better and Israel got stronger... It's government, it's systems, it's infrastructure, it's leadership. It all got stronger. Oh, but Hosea doesn't stop there. Hosea says next, their heart is false. Now, they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. You see, the problem wasn't that Israel didn't believe in God. Israel most definitely believed in God. I mean, they had gone through the Red Sea. They had traveled through the wilderness. They'd been delivered into the promised land. They were a vineyard. The problem isn't that they had a remaining affection for God. They did. They believed in God. Their problem was that they didn't have a reigning affection for God. So they had a remaining affection, but not a reigning affection. Did you get that? Friends, the Lord will not allow a church. (laughs) The Lord will not allow a church whose heart is divided from its king. Something had to be done. It was a fruitless vine. Like branches 
that you would throw into a fire. Sound familiar? See what's happening? Now let's look at at another prophet. Let's look at Isaiah. Go to chapter 5. I'm going to read from verses 1 through 7. This is a song. You know, guys, that I love a good song. Those were all good songs, band. You know I love a good song. Listen to this one. It's called The Song of the Unfruitful Vineyard. Let me sing for my beloved, my song, my love song concerning his vineyard. Start talking about Israel. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He's talking about the temple. And he hewed it out of wine, uh, out of wine vat in it. And he expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it when I expected it to yield grapes? Why did it yield wild grapes? You hear that expectation of God? To be fruitful. And now I will tell you that I, what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. That's protection. <laughs> and it shall be devoured like branches in a fire. And it shall not be pruned or hoed. Talking about removing the Spirit's correction. It shall be overthrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Isaiah is saying Israel is going to suffer the consequences for its sin. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. God expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry. Here in Isaiah, God's attentive care over the church, Israel is described in terms of the management of a vineyard. God gave them everything. God gave them the law. God gave them the watchtower, the temple. God gave them an altar where they can make sacrifices and worship and praise. God gave them every means of grace, every means of grace that they needed to be fruitful. It was a gift. But it came with an expectation, fruitfulness, fruitfulness, pure thoughts, good relationships, kind words, humility toward God, humility towards each other, no game playing. How I approach you, my intentions need to be good, and vice versa. Every single part of their lives just needed to be held in the light of the agreement of the Spirit of God. That's all. Fruitfulness. Their failures and their wickedness went unchecked 
It went uncorrected. And it went unrepented. Their pride and their self-importance swelled. How many times has that happened for you? And the passion that burned within, within them, it was not for the spirit of God. <laughs> it was for their own sense of power and their own sense and need to use it to oppress others. And they did. And they were great at it. Hosea and Isaiah both warned this is all going to come at a great cost. The removal of the Spirit of God. They described how justice and righteousness were replaced by bloodshed and cries. Does it sound familiar? Have you turned on your news? (laughs) Where in our lives has the justice and the righteousness of God been replaced by bloodshed and cries? Have you seen your social media feeds? Look at your relationship with God and with others. Just as I must look at mine. Where do we lack justice? Where? Is blood being shed? I think about those children. I think about the aching hearts of people of color. I think about our own community, our friends in the LGBTQ community. That's just to name a few. There are many others. Women, you go on. I mean, me too. Everything. Where do we lack righteousness in our care for others, maybe? Those who are addicted. Our attitudes toward anybody with a difference of opinion from our own. Right? Who is crying out? I can only hear with my own ears. You must hear with yours. You'll be hearing through a lens that the Spirit knows that's just yours. For each of you, it's different. When are we feeling superior to others? Who has anything against you? Whose blood might be on our hands as a nation, as as a church? in our families, and in in us individually as people. Another way to hear that is, who's dying could you help prevent with food, with medicine, with care, with sacrifice? With love. Now, Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Church, who might be crying out against us? 
How should we be stewarding our relationships with God and with others in a way where we produce fruit? How can we better love all people into a relationship with Jesus Christ? For starters, it has got to be more effective than our God is better than your God. (laughs) Amen? It has to get better than that. The world is sick of infighting. The world is sick of self-absorbed power. And power-hungry pastors and power-hungry laity and power-hungry church members, the world is sick of doctrinal abuse and, and constantly being told how unloved they are. I hate to break it to you, but we are going to have to show them that we are Christian by our love. By a show of hands, anybody watch a special wedding this weekend? Come on, fess up, boys. Thank you, Rusty. Uh Uh-huh. Did you catch that sermon about Bishop Curry? Woo! Man, I was a stunning showstopper for the world. You know, he's a bishop of the Episcopal Church, and I loved when he opened his message with a statement by Dr. Martin Luther King, who said, we must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love, and when we do that, we will make of this old world a new world. Love is the only way. Love is the only way. Brenda, I want you to look at, you, at, at, at your whole row and say, love is the only way. You too. Go ahead. Oh, no. Uh-oh, that's half-hearted. God ain't going to do a divided mindset. You look the other way and you tell them, love is the only way. There you go. Now, I also this weekend had a bunch of friends celebrating their graduations. Did anybody in here graduate? God bless you if you did. Congratulations. But my favorite part of Bishop Curry's sermon was when he said this. Jesus did not get an honorary doctorate for dying. He wasn't getting anything out of it. He sacrificed his life for the good of others, for the well-being of the world, for us. That is love. Love is sacrificing our lives. Love is sacrificing our pride. Love is doing something with our power other than oppressing others with it. Love is sacrificing our arrogance. It's laying it out on the altar. Love is sacrificing anything that we are putting before God and the children of God. And when we don't love church, we blow it. I have certainly blown it before. Have you? When we realize that we've oppressed others, we've blown it. 
when we accept an idol in our lives like money or other possessions or relationships or excuses for why things aren't better in our lives than the way they actually are, we have blown it. When our passions, when our passions and shortcomings are coming out of our insecurities and we're not pursuing Christian perfection by the power of the spirit that was gifted us, we're blowing it. But you know what happens in a, in a place like this this morning? The spirit of God blows in and gives us all like a holy reality check. You know? These aren't my words. The spirit is teaching us this morning because the spirit hears the cries of those who suffer and because the spirit knows of our failures. We have a history of them. Our failures to hear the cries of those around us. And that's when as a church we need to repent and we need to hear another song, a song written by King David of the Old Testament A song that says, hide my face from your sin, from my sin, and cover my iniquity, and create in me a clean heart, and renew the right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence like old fruitless dead branches in a fire don't take the holy spirit from me that you poured out at pentecost but restore to me the joy of my salvation and the wonders of your love psalm 51 The joy of your salvation church is not merely that Jesus Christ is fully divine. That's something for sure. But the the core of the I am statements is that Jesus replaces the imperfect with the perfect. That is why Jesus conjured up all the Old Testament imagery. That's why he talks about shepherds and gates and bread and light and doors and vines. Here is the joy of our salvation. Jesus, in his full divinity, is the perfect sacrifice in place of our imperfect offering. That's good news. Jesus is the perfect justice in place of our imperfect injustices. Jesus is the perfect righteousness for a group of people that want to be more right than they want to be righteous. Jesus is the perfect savior, the perfect truth, The perfect love. The Pharisees, they weren't bad human beings, you know. God didn't make them to be bad. 
the Israelites, they weren't bad. They were the chosen children of God. We are not bad. We're not bad. We weren't made to be bad. We were made in God's image. God loves each and every one of us the same. Just the way you are. But just like Israel, and just like the Pharisees, and just like each one of us, way too much to leave us this way. You hear me? God laid down God's own life that we might have ours abundantly, fruitfully. I know that you have a remaining love for God, Crosswalk. We're on a mission together with the rest of Lover's Lane Church to love all people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, to connect them to the perfect love, to connect them to the vine. Therefore, we must have more than a remaining love for Christ. We must have a reigning love for Christ. I want you to really consider in the next few minutes where you need to move from a remaining love to a reigning love. And just like Dr. King said, when we do that, we will make of this old world a new world. Because a reigning love of Jesus Christ is the only way. Christ is bread, church, fulfilling our sustenance need, offering us direction. He is the word. <laughs> Christ, church, is light, just like that pillar that led the Israelites throughout the wilderness, that pillar of fire. Just like Israel was for the Gentiles. Just like we are for the world. But Christ is true light for all people when we fall short. Christ is the good shepherd so that when I or you fail to love all people into a relationship, Christ says, no, wait, I am the good shepherd. I care for my sheep perfectly. Christ is the door. He and he alone is the access to the kingdom of God. It's all through him. Christ is the resurrection and the life, the eternal life. Christ is the vine. He is the vine. He is the vine. He is the source of all goodness, of all right. Righteousness of all justice. He is perfecting the imperfect. He is teaching us how to love and how to do it perfectly. So it's Pentecost Sunday, church. We are celebrating God's giving you the Spirit. Receive the gift of God. Move. From a remaining love to a reigning love. Will you close your eyes and be searched by God's spirit of how you might do that?
hide your face from my sin and cover my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart and renew the right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the wonders of your love. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.